Good evening and welcome to Editing Aloud. I have with me a rather financial mail-dominated panel this evening. And Julieta, your editorial for the Financial Mail, titled A Leech, Not a Public Good, about yes. our uh, national carrier. Yes. What do you make of what's going on at South African Airways? Well, I mean, there's sort of various legs to this um, unfolding disaster um, that is the national carrier. Uh, the, the one is the losses, the scale of the losses, which were revealed to Parliament uh, this week and, and to journalists, actually, in a, a series of leaked letters over 10 billion rand. Um, so it's so a 10 billion rand loss over two years. Over two years. Um, the, the directors might be held liable for um, this company for reckless trading, um, given its parlous state and the fact that it can't get guarantees from uh, the government in order to uh, pay salaries, uh, the fund the working capital it needs. And our argument essentially is that this is a, a leech on the fiscus, which is in... Um, which is incredibly in, in, in straightened times at, the, at this point in time. Um, the Treasury is raising debt to pay off debt. It can't provide poor South Africans, ordinary South Africans, with the essential services that they require. And yet we are pouring money into, in fact, what Natasha called a vanity project. That's what it is. There is no public good that SAA um, gives South Africa. Uh, there is there is no need for it, um, and we interviewed Eric Fenter as well, the former CEO of Come, who said it's irrelevant in the global aviation context. Unfortunately, South African Airways, uh, given our geographical location on the southern tip of Africa, we are irrelevant, and no amount of wishful thinking or, in fact, money can change that. Uh, what, what would Eric Fenter, the former head of of Come, Kalula British Airways in South Africa, what what would he have us do with SA? Shut it down. Shut it down yeah. completely. Yeah. And Natasha, why are we not shutting it down? Well, it seems um, it is, you know it's a political um, uh, it's a political game. It's become uh, a political uh, sort of hot potato. There seems to be a big difference between cabinet ministers about whether they, it should be shut down. Uh, the public enterprise minister feels that it that it shouldn't be that. Uh, we should do everything we can to keep it open. Uh, apparently, the president feels that way as well. Um, on the other hand, you have other cabinet ministers, including the transport minister, including the minister of finance, who thinks that you know we should shut it down. Um, so, so there's a wrangle even in our politics, in in our in our government, about you know what exactly to do with it, and that's why we've seen so much indecisiveness, uh, just a lack of um, clarity on what exactly should be done. To, to either rescue it or, or, or shut it down. Rob, the, the options, uh, assuming, well, the Public Enterprises Department, Praveen Gordon, want the Treasury to come to the party with a bailout, which is two billion, might be more than two billion by now, uh, which is a guarantee that's needed to get yet more cash out of the banks. Without that, the options are business rescue, liquidation. What... Are those desirable op options and which of them would be preferable if we went that route? Well, I feel like business rescue is a good option. I mean, essentially, you could then find a way to restructure it. And what, you know, I think what Eric spoke about and I think what could be done is you could you could take out the profitable routes. You could then sell those off to, to private sector players, privatise what you can. But essentially, what must happen within a very short time is that you must not have government running and owning a national airline and essentially paying a subsidy a subsidy on the poor to this airline just so it can sink it, sink it into all kinds of costs and essentially just come back next year asking for more money. What Praveen Gordon's done though is to sort of do the kind of 
call to make a call to all of our patriotism. Hmm. You know, you customers the... buy tickets. Um, yeah. Banks lend money. Is this is this a desirable? Uh, is this a desirable way to no, go? No, it's a terrible thing to do. I mean, he talked about how we need to take collective responsibility and buy tickets. Now, I mean, Carol Payton wrote in Business Day yesterday that nobody buys an air ticket based on your taking collective responsibility and your patriotism. You buy a ticket because there's a good service and it, it's, you know, it ticks all kinds of boxes. SA isn't ticking those boxes. It's a terrible airline. The service is outdated. It's not, it's not anywhere near the international airlines, the Middle Eastern airlines, which are doing pretty well at the moment. And locally, it's... I think its market share is 15% on local routes. We don't need it. Yeah. And Do the poor are suffering. It's actually 17%, um, according to Eric. Um, and, and he said that... On domestic. On domestic. Routes. And 20% in international? Is yeah, 20%. But he said in domestically, the it's amount really of the, the overcapacity in the domestic market is 25%. In other words, if SAA had to disappear tomorrow, the other players would we take up the slack. Basically. We would not notice. Well, we might temporarily. I, I mean, imagine in the short term, on the day, um, there would be stranded passengers, sure, there but would in a couple be staff of weeks. without jobs, there would be supplies without payment, etc. I mean, it would be very, very pretty disruptive and scary in the short term. In the short term, but um, if you let the natural forces of capitalism play themselves out, you will get other operators, you already have other operators to come into the mix, they'll probably, you know, they can quickly lease more planes. They can bump up their capacity. In fact, he says there's uh, too many empty seats flying around. And the problem, and, and, and I think this has been his message consistently over the years, you know, he left Kame a few months ago, but I think for the last decade, he has argued that you have an irrational operator who never has the threat of bankruptcy, or at least until now, hanging over them. So they make irrational decisions. They fly irrational routes. They, they do the wrong things because I suppose the moral suasion is that they will always get bailed out, whereas a private operator doesn't have that. They have to do the right thing. Um, and I think that is the, the nub of his argument. Natasha, it's been, it's been called the SAA moment, well, certainly during the strike, um, that what government does about SAA, whether they force Tito Mboweni to come to the party with another guarantee or they let it go in one form or another, business rescue liquidation, that what government does is a really important signal about whether it has the uh, courage, resolve to tackle other big fiscal issues, being the ESKIM problem, being the fiscal problem with public sector wages and so on. I mean, how important is the outcome at SAA as a signal? Is it a signal of what happens to the rest of the landscape? Well, it shouldn't be because SAA is not ESCOM. SAA is, um, you know, it's not essential to the, to the lifeblood and to the entire economy. It's, it's like I said, it's a vanity project and it, it, it doesn't, you know, we don't require it in order to run the rest of the economy. ESCOM, on the other hand, is, which is why we saw... Um, you know, unions unions tried to play that game um, during the during the strike, but it failed because because there is that r realization in government that it's not the same thing. Um, it's just very curious that that Minister Pravin Gordhan made the the call that he did on Sunday, um, when you know all indications were politically that they were ready to let it go. Um, but now unions are going to uh, court to actually force the government into making some kind of firm decision. So they've asked the court to basically um, grant an order to place SAA 
uh, and the business rescue. This is solidarity. Solidarity. NUMSA indicates oh, has NUMSA joined that application. In other words, the yeah. unions are now have taken government to court to get yes. SAA put into business rescue. Effectively, yes. Um, government has has opposed as opposed the application, but um, and it, because of the time of year, it's probably only going to be heard next, early next year. But that might not even be enough time to to actually, you know, resolve SAA's problem. But the irony is, if you bend over backwards for a non-essential company like SAA, when it comes time to to restructure ESCOM, you are never going to have the guts to do that. And Isn't that everything the rests on that. Is 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 that? SA is non-essential. If you can't take hard decisions at SAA, essentially what are your chances of taking them anywhere else? Yeah, well, exactly. I mean, the point is that that's why it's such, a, such an important harbinger of how they're going to act when it comes to the big issues. To ESCOM, I mean, the country's future to some extent, the credit rating, does hinge a lot on what happens at ESCOM. And if we're behaving so badly in the interim measures when it comes to SAA, I mean, what's going to happen when that reaches the crisis point, which will have to happen within the next few months? And, and that's before we even start talking about the February budget, which could, mm. without some serious action, look as catastrophic as the October budget that we just saw. Well, exactly. um, so if you can't make a decision about SAA, plus, plus if they can't make a decision, there'll be another few billion that goes to, to, to prop up SAA in any Although event. Where, does this billion, where do these billions come no, from? Look, as a guarantee, I suppose. But yeah. still, so. I mean, if you were a banker, would you lend, even with the guarantee? And it, it just speaks to the indecisiveness of government. It, feels, it seems <coughs> like they staring, you know, the, the, the deers in the head, headlights. They couldn't, um, you know, the government could, the, the, the appointment of the ESCOM chief executive took um, a w way longer than it should have. Um, we have the same problem with, the, with SAA. SAA says in its documents to Parliament that the uncertainty and the flip-flopping on the side of government has created an even bigger crisis for them because, you know, they're not able to, to move. They're not able to do much because, because our government... You know, on the one hand says we're giving you a bailout and then says no, we're not. And, you know, the answer, this all highlights the uncertainty and the, the, the indecisiveness that's captured our, 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 this, the, the Ramaphosa administration. And, 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 it is, and it, is, it should be laid directly at the feet of Pravin Gordon. He is the public enterprises minister. And, you know, we wrote in our editorial that he holds, he holds quite a highly respected place in South African, in most South African hearts, the EFF aside, um, for uh, his administration at SARS. And his, for his, how, his fight against corruption. The fa exactly. fight against corruption, the fact that he is regarded as an honest politician and anti-Zoomerite. Uh, um, and yet, I think it was Claude Buziak actually wrote a scathing piece in Business Day this week about how he is getting it all wrong at SOEs. He's indecisive, it seems. He's meddling. Uh, you know, the shareholder has to allow the boards of these SOEs to do the right. It has to maybe give them a mandate and then step back. Well, put decent let, boards in, put, put, put decent chief execs yeah. in and uh, go. And, yes. then, and then say, mm. this is, you know, this but is Rob, one last Claude. comment on, on, on SAA and SOEs. Well, what Claude Buziak said as well is that Pravin Gordon seems to think that if you get the governance right, this will sort itself out. But he said it's too late for that. Governance won't fix these things. You need proper restructuring, and you can't avoid doing the restructuring. And that's what they're trying to do, is to say, we'll fix some things at a governance level, we'll fix the board, fix the CEO, and that'll lead us to the right place. Well, it won't at this point. It's too late. That should have happened mm. five years ago, ten years ago. Yeah. At this point, it's too, too late. And in a way, the, is, is the same problem. I mean, I'm, the latest GDP figures, um, which are a real shocker. I mean, people expected flat third quarter, and what we got, in fact, was minus 0.6, which means mm. that for the year, we're looking at... Um, very, very, very low growth again. So now, I mean, just very quickly, because we've just got a minute or so left. 
do you think that indecisiveness, that inability to restructure is part of what's plaguing the economy as a whole? Yeah, totally. Mm. That's why we haven't had growth of more than 2% since 2013. It's well, entirely that. actually not had much more than 1% on average. Mm. I think if we look at what the figures are now going to be, we're looking at one-ish. I mean, you, we're going to have to grow, I think it was worked out, 4.8% in the fourth quarter in order to get any kind of growth over 1% this year. Do you think that's going to happen? Unlikely. You know, the things that have stifled South African growth. <laughs> Black Friday, <laughs> fantastic. But high electricity prices, which have risen hugely over the last decades. This is also, we have to acknowledge that this is one of the things that makes South Africa so uncompetitive okay. in its current form. We're going to take a break and we'll come back after the break. Welcome back. Rob Rose, data must fall. The Competition Commission ruling, finding in its investigation that the duopoly of MTN and Vodacom are charging us excessive prices for our data and must be stopped. Is this, is this the solution to our very high data costs? So there were some good points in the report, but the way they framed it is not the solution. And, and you saw the impact on the cell phone companies but 22 billion, yeah, 22 right, billion market in market cap. Market yeah. cap. I mean, there are some good points they raise, and I do think our data costs are high, but the, the ways they judge that is incorrect. For example, they looked at our profit margins, operating profit margins. It doesn't take into effect a lot of things. They do a lot of elements like the amount they need to invest as opposed to net profits. So some of the metrics were wrong. Some of the way they approached it was wrong. And I think ultimately um, you can cut your costs, but then do you want people to not invest anymore? Do you want the companies to stop investing and we have terrible cell phone networks? Is that your solution? One of the things which they have drawn attention to, the, the Competition Commission investigation, is, is, is the amount that um, non-contract non customers, mm. um, the pay-as-you-go customers, which are many poor people, get charged relative to contract customers and how... Um, how sort of they are really yeah. hit with very high charges. I mean, is there a way of addressing that without halting investment and undermining the company's the, the, robustness? The, there are ways to address that differential, and the differential sometimes does look staggering. I think it was 50 to 1 in some cases. Um, but, you know, there is the notion of bulk purchases. You buy in bulk, you get, a, you get greater discounts on it. I mean, clearly there, there are ways to address it without demanding that you know, somebody who buys a megabyte is in exactly the same financial position as somebody who buys 20 gigabytes. I mean, it, there are different ways to approach it. And I just feel the Competition Commission um, slapped down a, a fairly, fairly one-size-fits-all solution that didn't take into effect a proper analysis of the sector. Julieta, they've been the competition threatens that if they don't bring prices down, they will be hit with a sort of excessive pricing prosecution. Well, I mean, how likely would such a thing be to succeed? <coughs> I'm not sure the Competition Commission's cases have been particularly successful before the tribunal over not the last five years, but it will yeah. go before the tribunal. Excessive pricing is a really complicated thing Sure, and um, we spoke to Amor Burger-Smith from Worksman's. She's a director at Worksman's, also a competition expert, and she says these are complex um, economic and... Um, uh, she used another term, but they are complex matters that will go before the tribunal if indeed the duopoly um, don't agree with com uh, or, or refuse to accede to the Competition Commission's recommendations. And they've given them a very short time frame, two months. I mean, the other sort of headline populist overreach, uh, mm. um, uh, well, headline grabbing cause of populist overreach uh, measure that they've uh, wanted uh, these um, companies to undertake is to, offer f is to give free 
data to everyone. So you have a lifeline package, which, which sounds, I mean, you know, Michael Treehorn at Vestact said, well, why not free diesel or free foods? Uh, should banks give, uh, you know, free, free banking? Free banking? I mean, is, how, do you, how do you make the private sector responsible um, if data is a human right? Why do you put there, that there on the shoulders of the private sector? That there's, not, there's a kind of really inadequate understanding of how business Works and what incentivizes people to invest, mm. and one of the but one of the issues that's been raised, Natasha, is that that you can't really get sustainable free data or not free data, cheaper mm. data without the spectrum, which yes. the government has been promising us for now ten years, I think it is, to auction. Yeah, and um, there's been so little movement on spectrum, even though the the political world seems to be there, and they you know they keep making announcements on it. I think I've heard um, that the spectrum is coming from political speeches um, um, at least six times this year, but we're not seeing it. And and um, in Julieta's piece, it's quite clear that that is one of the fundamental reasons that uh, data is so expensive because that would have brought the cost of data because the, 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 the potential for to expand the infrastructure, as it were, just isn't is, isn't, isn't there. There. Yeah. I mean, MTN makes the point that they've invested 50 billion rand over the last five years. They say that level of investment is unsustainable. Um, going and, and they make the point that in Nigeria they have 110 megahertz of spectrum available to them. In South Africa they have 38 megahertz. Yeah. Okay. So that is yeah. a startling difference. Yeah. Yeah. And you do understand why then costs, uh, because they themselves have to put the capital into the base stations to offer the 4G and now the 5G that uh, consumers expect. They incur that cost. They don't get rebates on it. Um, if they had more spectrum, we would see data prices fall. Rob, I'm going to move along to, to a, a, another corporate series of stories, actually, and, and PwC and forensic reports in the spotlight. You've written this week about the PwC forensic report on Tongat and what went wrong at Tongat. Um, we haven't seen the report itself. We've seen a very short summary. Does it tell us what we want to know about the malfeasance at Tongat? Well, it tells you that things went badly wrong at the largest sugar company around in the continent. And that's it's really quite staggering, the extent to which there was zero governance. Th that company didn't even have an executive committee meeting in the last two years or so, which tells you that you know, it was, it, was, it was a completely, it was the Wild West down in KZN, down in Amschlange. It was absolutely bizarre. So, I mean, we, we know we had a supine board that did nothing to stop this. Um, and what was happening was that there was massive, there was backdating of land contracts. So um, very there creative sugar, accounting. Absolutely. The, the sugar cane in the ground was overvalued. Um, you know, prices were put through in Zimbabwe through their accounts as... Um, as refined sugar, whereas it was raw sugar, there was, there was massive, it was just a free-for-all and the accountants just seemed to have done whatever they wanted. And Deloitte were the accountants, the auditors for Tongard at the time, so I think they'll face certain consequences for this. Um, but, you know, it's another, it's another auditing scandal in this country. It's another dent to Actually, our Actually, Deloitte image. were the auditors at Stanhoff as well, in fact. As like and at Stanhoff as well, um, there's a call. In fact, the PIC and this group have taken... Um, stand off to court to try and get that PWC report. Mm. Um, yeah, I mean, we've also... Do we have the kind of level of detail on Stanhoff that we've got on Tongard? I mean, is, is, have, we, have we managed to extract more out of Tongard or is it... It's pretty much the same. Much I mean, the, the way it's worked the last couple of times is we have a big corporate scandal. We have EOH, we have Tongard, we have Stanhoff. Um, they then employ lawyers to do this forensic audit, forensic report, and then they release a short summary, which is getting even shorter. I mean, Tongard's summary was seven pages. I mean, Stanis was at least 11, and they say we're not going to reveal anything else. So who's to say what this company is protecting, what actually really happened? 
the public, the pension funds, we all have pension funds that, that invest in these things. I mean, we're none the wiser as to what happened, and it's a staggering lack of transparency in companies that are supposedly saying we're addressing transparency, we're now being open, we're doing the right things, when they're not. In principle, I mean, is there a reason why you shouldn't publish a forensic report? I don't think there is. I think, you know, for transparency's sake, it's probably the best thing to do to, you know, to, to, air, to air it all out and, and to, you know, that, that's what the, the State Capture Commission is doing in the, in the public sector, you know, to, to, to actually, um, you know, disclose everything that went wrong and account for it and, and you know, that's how you move forward. But, but not being willing to do so is, is an indictment on, on these private companies. The calls they make of government is, is basically over, overturned because they can't do the same thing. And we've got then the same problem is very little action from law enforcement authorities okay. on these findings. I mean, I think one of these reports talking about Stanoff was it Stanoff was a 7,000 page report. Now, if the evidence mm. isn't in there mm. for the NPA to get going, and, and Tongat has indicated, um, uh, as Rob wrote in his, in his column, that they have reported cases to the South African police. Um, uh, but Months you know, ago. <laughs> months ago. ago. They, they, they reported the backdating of land contracts to the police months ago. And, mm. and it surprises me a lot that nothing has happened because the police normally are very quick when it comes to corporate fraud. Corporate fraud. <laughs> 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 yes, tell that to Gary Pirates and the Tigon gang. <laughs> There's a guy in Hermana. How long well, does it take someone. <laughs> How long, how long typically have these prosecutions taken to get going? Well, I don't think they have gone going. <laughs> That's the possibility. I mean, Tygon is what? Yeah. 15 years in the Gary Parrott was arrested in 2002, and he still hasn't had a verdict. I mean, he's still in court. They put the, the guy who took Regal Bank down. He went to jail. Mm. Jeff Levinson. Quickly. Jeff Levinson. That, that was a rare moment of... <laughs> Yeah. of um, uh, swift He wasn't uh, even able to get his tickets to Australia booked before that happened. <laughs> so, I mean, what you've got is a sort of a failure of, account of legal accountability, if you like, of legal consequences in both public and private sectors, because it's not like the Zondo Commission no. has, uh, has, has yielded SARS any so prosecutions. Well. Why the SARS, SARS prosecutions? Yeah, why SARS Tenor? investigations and SARS, um, why the NPA is now tying up with SARS, because it's generally quicker and easier to you know, to um, in, indict people on 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 tax issues, then the old then Al Capone strategy. The old Al Capone, yeah, and, and is SARS actually do, is SARS making some headway with getting zapping people on tax where you can't actually get them into court on criminal charges? I think SARS is. I think they're getting there. Quite, they're getting there. Um, uh, the rebuilding's been taking. A long, it's been taking a while, but, but they're now officially working with the NPA and they, they're part of Hermione Cronje's uh, crack team in the, in the NPA. So, so yeah, there, there should be some movement there, but um, yeah, I wouldn't hold my breath. <laughs> like I was going to say we wait with the NPA. NPA. <laughs> now, Natasha, this is a completely unrelated question, but you have to explain to me why is Joburg finding it so difficult to find a mayor? It's a hung council. Of the, the, the 2016 election results gave no outright, outright 50 plus one winner. The ANC did get the majority, but not the outright majority. So, so that you do need a messy coalition or a coalition to, to actually run the city of Joburg. Um, it, it seems to me like there's a lot of last minute talks happening as we speak in the, in the Joburg Council today. Um, there were talks between the DA and the F EFF not even an hour ago um, with regard to whether you know, they can still hold, hold that deal together, but it's, it doesn't seem likely. Um, what is likely is that the ANC could take, could, could, it's, it's on a knife edge, could take it back um, with the support of the DA's old coalition partners, which would be a 
huge blow to the family. So an ANC EFF, Julieta was going to interject. She's very worried about not having a mayor. I am. I mean, who am I going to send angry rants to on Twitter? But it does seem as if the provincial government under David Mukura is losing patience too. And he said, now it's no time for playing games. And you've got to get your act together. And yeah, otherwise, they can today. choose yeah. a mayor. Otherwise, they will step in. Yeah. So uh, it's ANC either way. Yeah. So if if they, you know, if the ANC, if the ANC has the biggest shot today of taking the council. And if they don't, the provincial government, or if the meeting collapses, the provincial government steps in. And yeah. And that's that. Yeah. And that's that. We're going to leave it there. Please join us again next week for another edition of Editing Aloud.